Before we get into this episode, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love our show, please scroll down to the review section of your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating. If you have a few more seconds, please also leave us a review telling us what you like most about our show. We read every single one of these and we appreciate them so much. This will also help us grow and get into the ears of those who love true crime and food as much as you do. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to Unsavory, where true crime meets food. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah. And I'm Becca. Happy New Year, Becca. Happy New Year. 2022. Oh, it's a big year. We're actually recording this in 2021. 2021. (laughs) The foresight is looking bright. For sure. (laughs) So what are your plans now that you're an RD moving into 2022? Oh, big plans, big Mm -hmm. resolutions. I actually relaunched my own business, but now it's more legitimate. Yeah. I mean, you know this, but I'm actually... I mean, it's the Nutrition Junkie, which is what my business was called before. Yeah. But I've relaunched it, and now I'm actually focusing on, like, nutrition implications for women with ADHD. It's such a cool niche, and it's so important and so needed. And I feel like there's this whole discussion about women with ADHD and, like, how it goes undiagnosed and all sorts of different things. So I think you're going to crush it. Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I was diagnosed earlier this year. And I mean, you're right. Like there's just such a lack of understanding. There's even like a lack of research on like women specific. Mm -hmm. And there's also like a lack of support. I feel like, like it's not really as well understood in women or adults Mm -hmm. just generally. So I'm very excited to help in this area. 
Yeah, you're going to be so good at it. Thank you. How about you? Tell us your plans. (laughs) Well, I'm starting a clinical job in early January, and that's my main plan. And then I'm going to work on unsavory. Good plan. Because I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) Me too. I forgot (laughs) about that. (laughs) That's a mutual plan. 2022 is our year. We're no longer in school. We're finally registered dietitians. Good things to come. I'm sure (sighs) of it. We got this. Obviously, the new year is a great time for a fresh start. And because of that, many people use this time of year to set new health goals. So with that in mind, today's episode is very on brand. Beck is going to start us off by sharing some research on New Year's resolutions and some diet industry facts. And then I'm going to share the story of a diet scandal that started a social media influencer war the battle of Tanya Zuckerbrot and the F-Factor diet versus Emily Gellisland. I am so excited <laughs> for this one. We were both friggin' obsessed with the story. Yeah, we were invested. <laughs> we spent way too much time. Like, <laughs> Emily's stories would be, like, there would be hundreds Instagram of them stories. Instagram stories, yeah. <laughs> and, like, the little dots at the top would be so tiny, just, like, little periods. Yeah. And I would spend way too much time watching them. Do you know what I just realized? What? I mean, I was so into this story. (laughs) I I took screenshots of all of these like interesting, like the legal documents and stuff that were in her story Mm -hmm. and um, like all of the scandalous stuff I took screenshots of. I have a folder in my phone titled F Factor and I didn't send it to you. (laughs) Like everything that was on her stories is still totally available on her Instagram. So it's very transparent, which okay. is, I mean, I don't know if she deleted select things. Probably for legal liability reasons. Yeah, we will discuss, but she still has like all so many different highlights, story highlights on her profile that have everything. Oh my gosh. I'm very excited to get back into this because it's been a while. Yeah. Well, you guys are going to love this one. still dramatic. <laughs> I hope so. Okay, let's do it. The information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a physician or registered dietitian in your area. If you have a history of disordered eating, be advised that nutrition details will be discussed and take the steps you need to protect your recovery journey. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes on our website, unsavorypodcast.com. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently produced podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through the Patreon link in our bio. If you could rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends, that would really help us out, and we will be forever grateful. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. At the end of our last episode, you and I spoke briefly just about some of our own New Year's resolutions and how I more so set life goals for the upcoming year. And you kind of like retroactively reflect on each passing year, which mm-hmm. I feel like maybe two of the healthiest ways to ring in the new year or <laughs> ring out the old year. Because New Year's resolutions aren't always so productive. And I I did some digging into the resolution research that exists, and I am going to eventually share some of what I found. So if you haven't set any resolutions yet, I suggest maybe holding off until the end of this intro. But before we get into that, I do have some history around New Year's, which is really interesting. One thing that I love about most New Year celebrations is the fact that they're based around food for the most part, and usually around celebrating past or future harvests. So for instance, parts of India celebrate Diwali, the Festival of Lights, which is celebrated over the span of five days in October or November every year, depending on the cycle of the moon. Uh, The festival overall is to celebrate the last harvest before winter, and the fourth day is considered to be kind of the kickoff to the new year. In China and Chinese communities across the world, Lunar New Year's is celebrated between mid-January to mid-February, depending on the lunar calendar for the year. It's also called Spring Festival as it signifies the beginning of spring. And this upcoming year, it will be the year of the tiger, FYI. Oh, cool. Do you know what year you were born in? Like what the animal was? Uh, year of the horse, I believe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. we're born the same We're year. born in the same. Yeah. <laughs> we are lunar twins. So New Year celebrations for the Gregorian calendar, as we mainly know them, originated over 4,000 years ago when the ancient Babylonians would host a 12-day festival called Akitu to celebrate the planting of their crops. But this took place in March rather than in January. At this time, the communities would either reaffirm their current king or crown a new one. And during this ceremony, they would make promises to the pagan gods to do good that year. So to repay any debts or return borrowed items. Those were like the two main ones that they would often make to the pagan gods. Cool. If they kept their promises, the gods would bestow favor on them that year. And if they didn't keep their promises, they would fall out of the gods' favor, which doesn't sound like something you'd want. No. (laughs) These godly promises essentially became the OG New Year's resolutions. A similar practice took place in ancient Rome after Julius Caesar established that January 1st would be the beginning of the new year. January is said to be named after Janus, the two-faced god whose spirit inhabited entrances like doorways. But Romans believed that Janus symbolized looking back at the old year and into the new year, and they would offer sacrifices to the gods and promise good behavior in the month Mm. of January. This slowly kind of crept into more Christian traditions, where January 1st became an occasion to reflect on the year's past mistakes and think about how to resolve them in the upcoming year. Then in 1740, an English clergyman named John Wesley created the Covenant Renewal Service, or Watch Night Service, which was held on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. These gatherings included scripture readings and hymn singing, so they were kind of similar to the New Year's celebrations um, that we now know today. Hmm. So 
New Year's resolutions today do tend to be non-religious, but also more self-serving. Rather than making promises to the gods that we will do better on a societal level, we now more so make resolutions to ourselves, for ourselves, focusing mainly on elements of self-improvement. Gosh, we're selfish. (laughs) So selfish. (laughs) I feel like there's really two schools of thought when it comes to New Year's resolutions as well. So either people are really into them and they religiously or not religiously set them every year, or there's people who kind of roll their eyes at the thought of these short-lived goals, often short-lived goals. But what's interesting is that goal setting is actually considered to be an essential part of human existence. So this is regardless of the time of year. So setting personally significant goals and working to achieve them can provide elements of future orientation, so kind of seeing where we're going in life, and they can provide somewhat of a metric for life purpose, which I feel like isn't easily measurable. (laughs) No, definitely not. (laughs) Not to mention that setting and actually achieving goals is said to release amounts of the neurotransmitter dopamine into the body, which is associated with feelings of pleasure. Hmm, That's kind of cool. But yeah, so basically there are existential and biological reasons as to why we're motivated to set goals generally. Hmm. It does feel really good to set goals. Yeah. Like having, even having a to-do list. I have yeah. a to-do list every single day of all of the things that I need to do. Yeah. And I highlight them as I go through the day and accomplish them. And it feels so good to look at a fully highlighted day. A little dopamine. I'm going to think of that every time I, because I sit down every morning with my agenda and my coffee and it's like my favorite little, even if I spend just five minutes, I love writing out what I'm doing that day. Yeah. It's all those (laughs) neurotransmitters. I thought it was my caffeine addiction. But But to be motivated to set goals on New Year's rather than just generally is part of what is called the fresh start effect, which refers to the human tendency to take action on an idea or intention after a special occasion. And in the case of New Year's, that's the holiday season. There's surprisingly not that much solid research on resolution goal setting, but I did find one recent study that looked at over a thousand participants, which is pretty good. Their initial literature review found that 44% of Americans were either likely or very likely to set resolutions each year. For Canadians, it was actually a little bit less at about 29% of people setting resolutions. We're not very goal-oriented, are we? (laughs) Not really. I also feel like January is one of the dreariest months of the year in Canada. Yeah, we're all depressed. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's really <laughs> challenging, I think, to maintain a goal when, I mean, also during COVID, but just when mm-hmm. things are not as upbeat as they are in like the mm-hmm. spring, summer, or fall. Totally. The most common resolutions are around physical health or appearance, weight loss, eating habits, or saving money. But about 80% of resolutions fail after the first six weeks. And as you could imagine, even more fail by the end of the year. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Mm -mm. Some researchers have looked at the reasoning behind this, and they have found that where a lot of people go wrong is in setting the expectation of positive behavior change without first assessing their stage of change and or without creating a plan for change. And the diet industry does really kind of take advantage of this. I couldn't find exact numbers, but there is an uptick, like a pretty significant uptick in 
diet-related purchases and gym memberships at the beginning of each year. But to wrap up my intro, I want to provide some tips on setting successful health goals this year, if you haven't already done so. So first, be realistic, assess your readiness to change. And if you're not ready to make like a, a large change yet, you can focus on strategies to get you there. So kind of breaking up goals into parts. Next, be smart. And I don't mean intelligent. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) set goals that are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. Classic. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. You can also find an accountability partner or set goals with others Mm because having support has been shown to have a positive effect on goal achievement, especially if the goal impacts more than just yourself. For example, if you're engaging in volunteer work as one of your New Year's resolutions. Mm. Um, Lastly, avoidance-oriented goals like I won't eat sugar this year are actually proven to be less successful than action-oriented goals like I will keep fresh or frozen fruit in the house to snack on. I love that. So by setting positively motivated goals and by not limiting yourself, you're actually more likely to achieve success. That makes perfect sense. Instead of constantly like thinking about this goal that's negative, like you're removing something that you used to like, think about a positive goal, adding something new in or trying to have more of something else. Exactly. When you were talking, I remembered that last year I set this goal that I thought was going to be so easy and I did it with Jeff. Like, okay, so the goal was to, we had a mason jar and I was like, every Sunday we're just going to write like a one sentence reflection on the week. Mm -hmm. And then next New Year's Eve, we'll read them and it'll be so cute and so fun. (laughs) And I swear we lasted like three weeks. That's so funny. We still have the mason jar. It's 99% empty. (gasps) And it was just, I thought it would be so simple, like writing one little line. It wasn't like a journal entry. It was just like a, you know, I don't know, because we didn't do it. (laughs) So... Yeah. But I thought it would be so simple and we just failed miserably real quick. So (laughs) we actually did something similar, which also failed. It was at the beginning of the pandemic. It wasn't a New Year's resolution, but Mm -hmm. we were saying three positives that came of each day because I feel like every day was so bleak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we were trying to focus on the positives, but we we kind of forgot about that. I don't even know when we stopped. I know. I do experiments like that, too. Like, I'll be like, we should try this. You know, the game Rosebud and Thorn. Yeah. Yeah, like I've tried that before and like it's fun, but I just don't do it every time. And like, that's okay. You know, you kind of bring it up when you need it. And yeah, but I'm certainly not an expert on sticking to my goals sometimes. (laughs) And that's okay. It is sometimes goals need to pivot Mm -hmm. based on your needs and your wants. For sure. (laughs) Okay. Well, that was a pretty good segue. This story is definitely focused on more the diet aspect of that. And like like you yeah. said, New Year's is a classic time where people try to set health goals. And often what happens is that they're too rigid, not sustainable enough. And then we feel like we fail at our goals when in reality, we should have just revised them and done something a little bit smaller, more manageable, more sustainable. Mm-hmm. And this story, yeah, the story is just so scandalous. Okay. So like Becca said, when it was unfolding real time, we were invested Mm -hmm. to say the least it was all over social media and it was really dramatic 
basically two influencers, Emily Gellis-Land and Tanya Zuckerbrot, were caught in a vicious wellness war, and it was unfolding literally right in front of our eyes on Instagram. And it had all the elements of a captivating reality TV show. So lavish New York lifestyles, serious allegations, fake anonymous troll accounts, violent threats, and eventually high-power attorneys. Bit of a spoiler alert. (laughs) What was the source of all this drama? Well, Emily is accusing Tanya of producing unsafe products, not caring about her client's safety, and of running a workplace that is rife with harassment. And Tanya is accusing Emily of being a cyberbully and fabricating a devastating defamation campaign on Instagram for her own personal clout. And Beck and I have been talking about covering this story essentially since it happened. But at the start, as it was unfolding, it was chaos. There mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of clear info. Basically, we had to wait until the real journalists did their digging and fact-checking and could verify some of the claims or prove that some of the claims were false and get to the bottom of it. So huge shout out to my sources for today. (laughs) And I'm not going to read the titles because they're major spoilers, but there was an amazing Business Insider report by Dana Schuster, a Refinery29 article by Elizabeth Gulino, a New York Times article by Catherine Rossman, and of course, the F Factor book, Instagram and website, all other sources listed in our show notes, of course. And what's interesting about this story is that even after all is said and done, and even after I've gone into the research again and read all the updated material, I'm still not 100% sure who's the victim and who's the villain. Mm -hmm. And I think in the end, they're both a little bit of both. I completely agree (laughs) with you. I feel like I was, my opinion was swaying back and forth as Mm -hmm. this was all going on. It was chaos. It was absolute chaos. The moment... Kind of still I heard is. about it. I was like, we have to, we have to cover this, but I don't yeah. know how the heck we're ever going to do it because the, there's totally. so much information here. So much information. Yeah. And when I remember when I started, when I first found out about it, I was like, if I had to describe my feelings about each party, I started mm-hmm. being on Team Emily. And then about yeah. halfway through, I was like, something about this feels really kind of icky. And it did start to feel like bullying. And I kind of shifted back and like was like, maybe there's more to this story. Maybe, you know, maybe Tanya's not a total monster. Yeah. And I do think that they both made mistakes, but I also have some sympathy for both of them because I think that both parties genuinely feel that they were doing the right thing and it just got completely out of hand. I agree with that. Phew. Okay. And before I even start to share the details, this whole entire story has a massive allegedly in front of all of it (laughs) because the lawsuit is currently ongoing and its outcome will reveal a lot about what happened behind the scenes. And it could actually have huge implications on what the laws are around free speech on social media and where that line between free speech and cyberbullying or defamation gets drawn. So with that big allegedly in place, I'm going to start off by introducing our three main characters, Tanya Zuckerbrot, Emily Gellis-Land, and the F-Factor Diet. Let's do it. Tanya Zuckerbrot is a registered dietitian, mother of three, and the CEO and founder of the F-Factor Diet. She's the author of two books. The first, 
the F-Factor Diet, Discover the Secret to Permanent Weight Loss, and the second, the Miracle Carb Diet, Make Calories and Fat Disappear with Fiber. Tanya is a highly successful entrepreneurial dietitian. She charges about 600 USD for a 30-minute session and $10,000 packages for 10 visits. She also offers a $1,500 supermarket tour or fridge makeover. And for some of her celebrity clients, she has reportedly charged over 25000 USD for her services. Wow. If it's not obvious, those prices are quite high for a dietitian. Mm -hmm. She's considered a diet guru among New York's elite, and you can see through her Instagram that she lives a very lavish lifestyle herself. Zuckerbrot and her corporate real estate husband share an absolutely stunning $22 million Park Avenue apartment, and her Instagram is loaded with photos of her beautiful lifestyle, so travel photos to luxurious destinations, her beautiful apartment, things like that. Like, it literally, like, her... (laughs) Her Instagram, beautiful, but Mm -hmm. not relatable. Not relatable. She is not a relatable human being, at least to me. (laughs) Yeah. Main character number two is a bit more relatable, in my opinion. Emily Gellisland. She's a fashion and lifestyle influencer on Instagram. She has about 180,000 followers. She's the co-founder of a skincare brand called Poppy Girls, and she rose to influencer status by offering affordable fashion tips. She also lives in New York with her husband and is a new mother to a baby girl. Her Instagram account is filled with pictures of her fun and colorful fashion sense, her family, and pictures from traveling and dining out around New York. You might be wondering, how do these two know each other? Well, before the Instagram drama went down, they didn't. In fact, Emily has never even actually tried the F-Factor diet. And now to introduce our third main character in this story, the one with arguably the most drama, the F-Factor diet. So the F-Factor diet is essentially a high-fiber, high-protein diet that was created by Tanya Zuckerbrot in 2007 alongside the release of her first book of the same name, the F-Factor diet. The diet showcases fiber and lean protein as the key nutrients to focus on for weight loss, but it really hones in on fiber as this magic key to not feeling hungry while also losing weight. The diet claims to help people, primarily women, eat carbs, dine out, drink alcohol, and work out less while losing and maintaining their weight. What are your thoughts on that tagline? I feel like a lot of this is kind of, not a lot of it, some of it's kind of not out of her scope, but I don't know if she should Mm -hmm. necessarily be encouraging alcohol consumption. Yeah. And eating I guess, like, fewer starchy carbs, which I think we yeah. get into, right? Like, it's fewer starchy carbs, higher fiber foods. That, Correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Totally. She's not really selling a diet necessarily. She's selling a lifestyle, which I absolutely I think is, is a huge part of it because, as mm-hmm. I said, she's not really relatable, but definitely dietitian goals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And when I read that tagline, I mean, I love dining out. I love eating carbs. I do imbibe in some alcohol sometimes. Mm-hmm. Workout less, I don't really love. Like, I, I guess that's really subjective what workout less means to certain people. And if you read the F Factor book, there is a whole chapter on exercising and mostly focusing on strength. But that's right. not really clear in this tagline. Like, the tagline is clearly showing a certain type of lifestyle to me. And there's also no mention of health. No mention of health. But also, I think, like, the workout less component, mm-hmm. I think 
is pretty indicative of who she's targeting. Like, it seems like she's likely yes. targeting people who work out to make up for the food that they eat. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not people who are working out for mental health, enjoyment, physical health. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's pretty specifically for body size, maintenance, or changes. Yeah. So the F-Factor diet has three steps. I'm going to try to keep it less detailed, um, but if you don't like hearing about diet information, maybe just skip forward a minute or so. Okay, so the first step is designed to last two weeks, and it is quite restrictive. It's designed to kickstart weight loss by switching out refined carbohydrates like white pasta, rice, and bread, and adding in high-fiber carbs like whole wheat crackers, specifically these GG crackers that are very (laughs) high-fiber. And dieters are instructed to aim for 35 grams of fiber per day, which is actually quite a bit. So Health Canada recommends about 25 grams of fiber per day for women. In step one, dieters are also instructed to eat less than 35 grams of net carbs. And net carbs are your total carbohydrate intake minus fiber. So that's actually a very small amount Mm -hmm. of carbohydrates. And the goal behind this first two-week period is to kickstart weight loss by using the body's glycogen stores, which is how we store carbohydrates in our body. So glycogen is found primarily in the liver and the muscle tissue, and it's important for giving us energy between meals and during physical activity. The idea is that this low-carbohydrate period, your body starts to use its glycogen stores, and then after those are gone, it can use the fat stores, which is a very similar underlying mechanism to most low-carb diets that do limit carbs, so keto and Atkins. But Tanya doesn't actually consider the F-factor diet to be a restrictive diet because technically you're allowed to have carbohydrates. They just have to be within that carb-fiber goal. That's restrictive. That is High, it's highly restrictive, right? But F Factor claims to be a liberating and sustainable diet. And I just want to be clear I've never tried it and I never will. <laughs> it's not for me and I know that. But at face value, it does not seem sustainable to me at all. So anything that requires tracking of certain nutrients and limiting overall intake is unsustainable in the long term, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me a bit of of Weight Watchers where, yes, of course, nothing is specifically limited, but you're constantly tracking points. And meticulous tracking of your diet can be a useful tool for some people, but it is a very slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of the fun and freedom out of your diet while also linking numbers directly to outcomes, in this case, specifically weight loss. Yeah. I used to be obsessed with my fitness pal and oh did you I didn't know that about you oh yes 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 like after right after university I think I was the worst but ever (laughs) since I made an effort not to be as Mm -hmm. obsessed and to stop tracking yeah my food and calories and yada 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 yeah it has been the most liberating experience oh totally I have a similar experience but I never tracked anything I was just kind of like aware of I don't even know how to describe it really, but it's just so interesting how like when you are hyper-focused on one aspect of your food, whether it's calories or fiber, it doesn't really matter because you're tracking one aspect of your food and you're basing all of your food choices on one specific number. But that one specific number doesn't tell you anything about your overall intake of nutrients and your overall needs. Absolutely. And like, yeah, I used to be very similar. It was like, 
I was tracking in, out, what's in, out, mm-hmm. like in terms of what I was consuming versus what, how much I was exercising or yeah. walking or whatever. And I think a lot of this mm-hmm. feeling, and I feel like especially with women, it might actually come from the fact that we actually aren't really educated on things like metabolism or how food yeah. actually works in the body. Mm-hmm. There was one nutrition course in my high school and it was optional, but otherwise you don't really mm. learn about food or your body beyond because you have biology. You don't have a physiology course in elementary or high school. Yeah. So where, where are we learning about our bodies and how things actually work so Absolutely. that we can actually properly take care of ourselves? Because mm-hmm. um, we're more exposed to diet culture than we are true education. I think I learned most of my nutrition knowledge before going back to school from mm-hmm. diet culture messaging in the media. And I very much felt that the thing I thought about in relation to food the most was weight. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't thinking like, oh, this food is going to give me energy for my cross-country practice and blah, 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 blah. It was just like food is going to make you gain weight or it's going to make you lose weight. That was my biggest association with food. Yeah. I, that oh, makes sense. I ate so many rice cakes and celery sticks. Oh, oh rice cakes. Gross. I know. Before celery was cool, too. <laughs> you were a real trailblazer. <laughs> so, Just even like the claim that this diet is sustainable and non-restrictive, I do fundamentally disagree with. I don't think it matters if you're tracking calories or... So basically, and I say this later, but I'm just going to say it now. They say that this is not a restrictive diet because counting calories is not necessary because there's this inherent calorie cap built in because of the high fiber intake. Right. So if you're getting like we don't actually use fiber for energy, our bodies don't break it down and use it for energy like it does with, you know, protein, fat and other carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting a very high amount of fiber in your diet, you're displacing a lot of calories and energy. Right. So that's why F Factor claims that there's, you know, it's not restrictive because you're not counting calories because there's this inherent calorie cap built in. It's still restrictive. You're counting fiber. And by (laughs) nature of counting all that fiber and making sure you get a certain amount, you're implementing a a, a calorie cap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What a tangent already. (laughs) This is (laughs) all like I'm telling you this episode, we're going to take 25 years. Okay. So just to reiterate everything we just said, nutrition and dietary patterns are, of course, so individual. So what works for one person can be pretty awful for another person. And that's going to be a common theme throughout this whole story. Step two and three of the program introduce more carbohydrates and more variety. And the emphasis is put on whole food sources, especially if you're following the F factor book. So by step three, the maintenance phase, your net carb intake is capped at 125 grams. And that's your net carb intake, which is total carbs minus fiber. And if you're keeping your fiber intake fairly high, let's say about 35 grams, that's actually a fairly reasonable amount of carbohydrates in the diet. It's in line with most recommendations, and that would be considered the maintenance phase, so when you're not focusing on weight loss. Right. So like I said, the F-factor diet is not technically calorie-restricted, but there's that inherent calorie cap. And in that first two-week phase, it works out to be, trigger warning, calorie mention, (laughs) It works out to be between 1,000 and 1,200 calories, which is not even close to enough for the majority of adults. Mm -hmm. It's actually about enough for the average toddler. But keeping your fiber 
intake at such a high amount is restricting your overall energy intake because the fiber is adding bulk and promoting fullness without adding energy. Mm -hmm. Zuckerbot also, though, describes the F-factor diet as being completely customizable to individual needs, including different age, height, and activity factors. Plus, it can be used for GI disorders, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and specific weight loss goals. So as a dietitian, we know that nutrition is so individual. And I think if you are, you know, reading the full F-factor book and also working one-on-one with Tanya, then maybe you could get a more individualized, customized plan. Right. But it kind of highlights the main problem with not just this diet, but all mainstream diets, is that when you're trying to make something that provides essentially a one-size-fits-all approach, it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. for everyone. So what works for one person could never work for another. What works for someone who's 4'7", almost completely sedentary, and 65 is not going to work for someone that, you know, goes on daily walks, is six feet tall, and works on their feet as well. Like the needs are just so drastically different. But as we mentioned, not everyone can afford Tanya's individualized services. And so they're probably either just buying the book and doing it themselves or worse, looking at just her social media and going from there. Yeah. And one more important point to squeeze in before we move on is that the book itself, the F-Factor book, was written long before the F-Factor products were introduced. So the book and the foundation of the diet is more focused on food sources of fiber, while the social media presence over the past couple years since the introduction of the F-Factor products, so protein powder and bars, the social media presence is a little bit more focused on marketing those things and recipes with the fiber and protein powder. Mm -hmm. And speaking of her social media, I have to just give a shout out to a video that I consider to be an atrocity and an insult to oatmeal. (laughs) So she made this F-Factor oatmeal and it was literally just like brand fiber, like like fiber one, not even the buds, like the little sticks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Fiber and just added hot water and like made it into a mush of just hot water and, and fiber and then, like, topped it with blueberries and called it F-Factor oatmeal. <laughs> Sounds pretty gross. So, Sorry, does she sell these uh, fiber pellets? No. Is that one of her products? No. no? So okay. not everything is, like, her products. It's really the powder. There's some bars. But she still does, like, high-fiber recipes. And they're not always using her products. Okay. So she would recommend, like, high-fiber cereals. She loves these, like, GG crackers, high-fiber crackers. And then she'll often just do recipes that are, like, vegetable-dense, lean protein, things like that. Okay. And I think we're going to leave F-Factor there for a while. I'm going to come back with some more opinions later because I think we could honestly just do whole episodes where we like go through diets and talk about everything we think is <laughs> challenging or accurate with them. But we're going to focus on the scandal for now. So I'm going to kind of briefly walk you through the timeline of events. So in April 2020, fashion influencer Emily Gellis-Land noticed two now-deleted Instagram accounts that were making allegations against F-Factor. And one of those allegations in particular struck a personal chord with Gellis Land. Both allegations claimed that the F-Factor diet, and particularly the F-Factor protein powder, had impacted them negatively. 
But one of the accounts also alleged that Tanya had encouraged a client to go off of their antidepressants in order to help with weight loss. Terrible. Absolutely. So bad. Not a good recommendation. (laughs) Beyond our scope. (laughs) Gellis Land, who has used mental health medication in the past, felt strongly that this was completely unacceptable, especially coming from a dietitian and not a psychologist. And I agree. Making a recommendation to stop a potentially life-saving medication is far beyond the legal scope of a dietitian. Tanya has denied this claim, saying that she would never say something like that. And that, like, right there, that she said, she said thing is a constant theme throughout this whole entire thing. Allegations are made. Allegations are steadfastly denied. Yeah. And you do have to think, too, like, what sparked this initial thing wasn't a she said, she said debate. It was a she said, she said about somebody saying debate. So it wasn't even like Emily was full. Yeah, she had no personal experience with Tanya. No. It was somebody else's expressed experience about Tanya. And she latched onto it. Yeah, it struck a personal chord. And I do, you know, she found these accounts Mm -hmm. and, and felt like these stories need to be shared. Tons of people follow this diet and interact with this, the F Factor diet and Instagram account. And she felt like these stories deserve to be shared. But... If there's one thing, pretty much the only thing I'm certain about in this entire story is that all of the nuance gets lost on social media. Mm -hmm. So even in a one-on-one conversation, nuance gets lost, but especially through an Instagram DM where it's someone's alleged account of what happened in a private meeting. Yeah. And it's very one-sided. Tanya's not able to defend herself really. But at the same time, I don't know. (laughs) And the legal records, like, they might, not that if she told somebody to go off of their antidepressants, she would have properly recorded that. Mm -hmm. But there might be some mention of her side of how things went down. Yes. And I do wonder, like, I... One thing I want to be very clear about is that I never, ever want to discount any of these client experiences. Of course. But I wonder if in chart notes there could be more context provided. Like, is it maybe possible that Tanya said something like, you should talk to your doctor about switching your medication if it's not working for you? Because a lot of mood medications, antidepressants, antipsychotics do have metabolic side effects. Yeah. So maybe it was something like that that was delivered in a poorly worded way and it was taken out of context. Yeah, received out of context. Yeah, but at the same time, the patient felt that she was or that they were told to go off their medication, that should have been professionally communicated much better because that's not something that dietitians should be communicating. Yeah, that's problematic. So Gellis Land posted a response to that anonymous post, and she shared about mental health and advocating for medication when appropriate. And this kind of started it all. So shortly after, she began to notice a lot more messages from people about their negative experiences with F-Factor. It was like the floodgates opened and Gellis Land began adding these allegations to her Instagram stories while respecting the anonymity of the individuals who were sharing them. And this is kind of where Becca and I picked up <laughs> the 
story and kind of became invested. Yes. Insert Becca and Sarah. (laughs) Insert us. Just (laughs) creeping Instagram stories. And it was like screenshot after screenshot after screenshot of people messaging Emily Gellisland with their stories. Like I tried F Factor and I broke out with hives within two weeks. That's just made up. But like it's a pretty fair example of the kind Mm -hmm. of things that were being shared. Most of the allegations were related to the F-Factor protein powder and some of the products like the bars. And they're pretty bad. They include everything from rashes, canker sores, headaches, hives, GI distress, panic attacks, rectal bleeding, heavy metal poisoning, partial bowel resection, and even an allegation of a miscarriage. Although that was later proven to be a fake planted story. Which cracks the credibility. And also like, that's what I mean when I say this story is like chaotic. It's like these two people having their own wellness war, but then so many other people on either side getting involved. Mm -hmm. And it's just weird. It is weird. (laughs) Okay, so as Gellis Land started sharing these negative experiences with F-Factor to her stories, they just kept coming. And all of these stories, if you have like 10 to 12 hours of free time, (laughs) (laughs) they're available for creeping on Gellis Land's Instagram They're saved in her story highlights under discussion 1 to 24. And then there's another one called Open Discussion and another one called FFAC Lies. And Gellis Land claims to have about 2,400 complaints saved on her phone from victims of F-Factor. And she was just trying to do her best to share these stories, to give voices and a platform to people who felt like they didn't have one. She really has no personal stake in this battle other than speaking on behalf of those who felt that they had to remain anonymous. However, for her role in this, Emily says that her and her family have received threats and that she herself became the victim of some pretty serious cyberbullying by people who supported F-Factor. And some of the messages that she received, which again are still available on her Instagram, are really brutal. They attack her relationship, her mental health, her family, and even her mother who lives with chronic illness. Um, and they came often came from anonymous accounts as well. So it's like this total war of anonymous accounts, basically, mm-hmm. on Instagram being shared through Emily Gellis Land's Instagram stories. Before we get into how Tanya and F-Factor publicly address these complaints, I want to share some of the personal stories of the F-Factor victims or customers. (laughs) So Refinery29 was able to get in contact with a customer who says consuming F-Factor products landed her in the hospital. She ordered two boxes of the protein bars in August and then started experiencing headaches and abdominal pain shortly after. And by September, she was hospitalized for the pain. She stopped eating the bars, and the pain stopped. During this time, she was breastfeeding her baby, and so she was upset about that, not feeling like she knew, you know, what the products were really doing to her body. Mm -hmm. And this anonymous source also told Refinery29 that this experience was never directly reported to F-Factor. And the vast majority of allegations made against F-Factor on Instagram are anonymous and unverified, which I can totally understand why some people wouldn't want to speak out publicly against a powerful company. But at the same time, that means they remain unverified. Mm -hmm. Some of the non-anonymous complaints came from a woman named Anne McCall, who had rashes and eye swelling when she tried F-Factor products. 
and Sammy Miller, who entered an eating disorder treatment center after following the diet. The New York Times was also able to track down some individuals behind the anonymous complaints and do some fact-checking. One of them was a 32-year-old woman who wanted to remain anonymous, who went on the diet and within a month had developed abdominal pain so severe that she had two CT scans. And the, the New York Times was also able to verify that at least one of the two claims that F-Factor products had caused a miscarriage was a hoax, a planted lie. And this is just such a weird and, like, kind of confusing story that is just so bizarre. So I'm going to read the quote from the New York Times article, and we could discuss together, Becca. Okay. Okay. So this is about the hoax, the, the miscarriage hoax after trying F-Factor products. The miscarriage story and confession email was sent by Allison Brettschneider, 44, a former Instagram influencer herself. As her email address, crazycancelculture at gmail.com indicates, she sees herself as a soldier in a culture war over publishing on social media the stories of anonymous sources, describing the trend as irresponsible and dangerous. So she's basically against, like, publishing anonymous accounts, saying that it's a dangerous trend. Last fall, her Instagram account was disabled without notice. She reached out to the higher-ups at Instagram and was told that she was using bullying language, and now she's suing Instagram. Oh, I didn't know know. this. There's a lot (laughs) going on here. She sent the email about the miscarriage because she said she couldn't stand by and watch Zuckerbrot be attacked by anonymous sources, even knowing that she might be attacked herself when her trick was revealed. I read this over like six times because I was like, why would you send the message? And I think that her motivation was to showcase how easily a fake story could spread. Yeah, exactly. Like she was doing it with the intention that it would be revealed that it was fake. Totally. But like just a weird way to go about it. Very strange. And it was also revealed that her cousin, Brett Schneider's cousin, is a factor's head dietitian. So like personal investment, um, just like the weirdest way to go about it. I don't feel like it was an effective way to go about it. I do weird. get it to some degree, especially mm-hmm. if she had like personal stake in F Factor and she was like, I need to prove somehow that this company isn't as bad as maybe it's made out to seem right now by all of these anonymous yeah. sources by planting a fake anonymous story. And it also relied like if that's her tactic, she's banking on the fact that it's going to be revealed that this was fake and everyone is just going to be like, oh, it's so easy to spread a fake story. I guess it's all a lie then. How Do you know how it was revealed? I don't have it in here, but like she admitted it. Okay. So that that's how she was sure it would come out that it was fake. Yeah. But that doesn't <laughs> mean people are going to be like, oh, I get it. You know what I mean? I just don't think it would have the effect on the public watching this unfold. They'd be like, great, that's one complaint out of 2,400. Yeah, and I also don't think that it was effective. I think that it just added a layer of confusion to this whole story. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And also just like shitty to pick a miscarriage. Yeah. A miscarriage is terrible. It's an experience that would obviously resonate with a lot of women. And I just think the whole planting of the story is just weird. I don't like it. And it doesn't take away from the thousands of other complaints that Emily received, which is about 2,400. And anonymous or not, the sheer volume of complaints, I don't think, can be ignored. Mm -hmm. And it can't just be attributed to trolls and lies. That's a lot of complaints. Yeah. 
But ignoring is basically what F-Factor did for the start of this whole thing. So the first formal response from F-Factor was in August 2020. Emily's first post was around April 2020. At this point, consumers had been pressuring F-Factor to comment on the situation for weeks, and pressure was mounting for the company to release its Certificate of Analysis. A Certificate of Analysis is an official document that shows the ingredients and quality control testing done on a manufactured product. The lack of publicly available COA, which is the Certificate of Analysis, combined with the fact that F-Factor had been deleting negative comments from its Instagram, was causing a lot of people to lose faith in the F-Factor brand. The company eventually released a statement saying, the trust and safety of our consumers is our top priority and we respect your concerns. And they reassured customers saying that they would release the COA shortly. On August 27th, Zuckerbrot appeared on the Today Show, where she insisted that her products were 100% safe for consumption and that the F-Factor diet could not cause health problems and that adverse effects from the product were likely due to allergies or the introduction of fiber too quickly, which is fair. Yeah. On the same day, the company released the certificate of analysis for their chocolate protein powder. With Zuckerbrot saying, I do regret that we did not share this sooner. So I've included a picture of the COA on our Instagram in our episode post. And it does actually show that the chocolate protein powder was safe for and is safe for human consumption. And it also shows that the product does contain trace amounts of heavy metals like lead, cadmium and arsenic, Mm. but within safe limits. Like we've said time and time again on this podcast, even with the scariest sounding ingredients, the dose does make the poison. So yes, arsenic and cadmium are very dangerous to humans in large amounts, but trace amounts are also found naturally in the soil and in our vegetables and are safe for human consumption at small amounts. And based on the COA, the chocolate protein powder that the COA was shared for falls within those safe limits. However, the products themselves actually carry something called the Prop 65 warning label, which is mandated by California law, and it indicates that the products do contain certain chemicals that could cause cancer, birth defects, or reproductive harm due to those trace amounts of heavy metals. Okay, so my couch had this warning on it, and I didn't realize until... Yeah, I didn't realize until years had gone by that I'd been sitting on this couch because it was like this small label underneath Mm -hmm. um, one of the cushions. Yeah. And I feel like you never really read those labels. And then one day I was vacuuming and I just decided to read it. And I was like, WTF, what is this? And I'm not going to name the company who sold me the couch, but they weren't very responsive to even explaining what this meant, Mm -hmm. which I think is kind of unfair. Like if you're going to put something like this on your product, be prepared to explain it to consumers. For sure. And, you know, that added more fuel to the fire because women were using these products while breastfeeding, while pregnant. And then they see this label and all these allegations start to come out and they're like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, this is scary. Mm -hmm. What was I putting in my body? So while technically safe, according to the COA, it does have this label, which scares people, frankly. Mm -hmm. And understandably, 
I just feel like, especially when you're in a period of pregnancy, you're so conscious of what you're putting in your body. Or even just as a woman who is in her reproductive years. Totally. That is incredibly mm-hmm. anxiety-inducing. Yes. To think that you have eaten something, and if you have the desire to have children, how that mm-hmm. might potentially be impacted because you ate these stupid granola Protein bars or whatever powders. they are. Protein yes. powders. And especially if you were having other physical symptoms, like if you're having these powders and then all of a sudden you start developing rashes and then you look closer at the label and you're like, oh my God, this is clearly affecting my body in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I, I completely understand where the distrust is coming from. And then you add on the layer of F factor, not really directly addressing any of the complaints thus far. Yeah, not good. It's not great. You see how it becomes pure chaos. But something important to note is that F Factor claims that they have had less than 50 health related complaints about their products, despite having over 174,000 sales in the past two plus years, which is about 0.03% of the sales carrying health related complaints, which to me seems like a reasonable amount of health related complaints given. The fact that these products do contain a very large amount of fiber yeah. and they use whey as the primary protein source. Right. So it is well documented that introducing large amounts of fiber can cause GI distress and that whey sensitivities and whey allergies are fairly common and they're often linked to sim- symptoms like rashes and hives. And that's that's a protein found in like dairy for those yes. yeah. who don't know. That's a dairy protein. Mm-hmm. But also just to touch on the immense amounts of fiber for a second. Yeah. <laughs> this makes me think about my first experience ever trying Smart Sweets. Totally. Oh my have God, tell us them? about it. No, but I have read Amazon reviews for a similar product that are hilarious. <laughs> so I actually really <laughs> enjoy them. Like I find them really tasty and they're made out of like plant ingredients. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't really have anything in them except insane amounts of fiber, like insane. Like I'm pretty sure some of the packaging, it contains like 60 plus percent of your daily That is a fiber. lot. Yes. And so I'll still get them every once in a while, but I can mm-hmm. only eat like half a package yeah. because the first time I had them, the next morning I woke up and my stomach was so sore. Oh, like, like bloated I had like, too? It was so bloated. And like I could see how if you're not properly taught how to increase your consumption of fiber, like with water and slowly, how this might result in some GI distress. Absolutely. And that's not to the fault of the product, but more just Mm -hmm. like the fault of how it was initially started in the diet. Absolutely. You know, when people have the powder, it is fiber and protein. It's not like you're increasing your fiber through adding in a big salad every day Mm -hmm. or mixing some all brand buds in your cereal, like those kind of smaller increments in sort of like real food sources could still cause GI distress. Yeah. And then you take this powder that's pretty much just fiber and protein. And it just makes me think like these people, like when you start a new diet, when you make a change, it's exciting. You, like you said, new goals give you this little dopamine effect. Mm hmm. And I could just see, or even just knowing myself, when I start something new, I'm like, all in, baby, let's do it. And I think that probably people start this and they're like, great, I can have this powder that's going to keep me full. It's got protein. It's got fiber. And they're maybe, you know, jumping right in with the full dose right away. Right. 
And I could just see the GI symptoms being awful. Absolutely. However, there's been 2,400 complaints given to Emily Gellisland about F-Factor. And I think that's a lot of complaints. And I'm not sure they can all be explained away by weight sensitivities and fiber increase. Right. Especially if the symptoms are showing up over months and months. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it would totally, you know, the fiber, if you're adding it in right away, you'd have some pretty serious side effects for the first couple weeks, but eventually you'd kind of adjust. But we also don't know if these are, if this is like 2,400 individual complaints or if somebody complained 25 times. Yeah, there's a lot we don't know. And mm-hmm. none of, like, pretty much none of these allegations are evidence based. Like, they're not verified and they're often yeah. anonymous. And it does make you wonder if all of these people are sitting on these, like, pretty serious complaints and feeling hurt by F Factor, why didn't they complain to F Factor if they say that they've only received less than 50 health related complaints? Mm hmm. Well, some of the women said that they didn't complain to F-Factor because they didn't notice any other negative reviews or comments on the website or Instagram page. And remember F-Factor, they've actually admitted to deleting negative comments from their Instagram. And so maybe these dieters didn't suspect that it was necessarily a problem with the product until they had lost time and money and trust in their own bodies before they actually linked the symptoms with the products. And that's fair. It is fair. And I kind of like, I just find some symptoms are so easy to explain away. Bringing up my cyst again, I kind of knew something was wrong, but like also I was like, well, bloating is a regular thing. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. a major red flag. But Mm -hmm. in retrospect, now I'm like, oh, I was having symptoms for months and they just weren't so severe that I was like super worried. Yeah. Same with my friggin' migraine. Yes. People explained it away as just being a migraine for years, whereas yeah. there was a, a reason underlying issue that I wasn't aware of and I didn't take action on because I didn't know it was a real issue. I know. And this is another like another common diet phenomenon because people are physically and emotionally invested in this diet, and they might even be financially invested in this diet. Mm -hmm. And they see that it works for other people and they push forward and they maybe chalk it up to like willpower or thinking they need to like push through harmful side effects. And when I was reading this and like writing this, I was actually reminded of when I was in high school and I had acne at the time and I went on Accutane and then later I went on this other called like Tretinoin A or something. But Mm -hmm. both of those Like, I remember the dermatologist saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that kind of mentality also kind of leaks into diet culture. And like on a diet, it's going to be really hard before it gets better. Right. It's going to be you're starting a new exercise routine. It's going to be shitty before it gets better. And I don't really love that. I feel like it should get better and then it should continue to get better. Yeah. (laughs) If you're doing something gently enough and like in a sustainable way, yeah, it probably shouldn't be terrible before it gets better. And I think yeah. that kind of applies to skincare too. And definitely with diets, like if you're doing a super restrictive juice cleanse and then expecting things to get better, it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. No, I feel like slow and steady is sustainable. Comfortable is a good thing. Things, mm-hmm. things that are good don't have to feel awful. 
Agreed. I'm down for challenging yourself, but nuance. (laughs) So this is all scandalous enough. Chaotic, confusing, but definitely scandalous. But it's actually only about half of the story. (laughs) Because alongside the consumer reports of side effects and what some might call denial and what some might call gaslighting by Zuckerbrot and F-Factor, former F-Factor employees start to share their stories about the toxic workplace culture at F-Factor. To be clear, Zuckerbrot has stated that these allegations are all false and misleading. And I got all of this information from a very well-done Business Insider report by Dana Schuster. So amid the product allegations... Now we have former employees coming forward, alleging that their eating habits were policed at F-Factor. Schuster writes about a dietitian that had just been hired at F-Factor, and she brought a packed lunch of whole wheat pasta and turkey meatballs. Sounds delish. Tanya allegedly said, I can't believe you're eating pasta. We never do that. How could you bring that in? Schuster was able to talk to another former employee who actually remembered and was able to corroborate that interaction and said that Tanya berated her. It was awful. I just remember her face. She turned white. (sighs) And I hate food shaming. I think it's never okay. And I feel like I could see something like this happening. Yeah. Like in the, within the company? Within like the elite New York diet guru scene. Yeah. Just the, it's the lifestyle thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Another dietitian who had worked at F Factor about 10 years prior and was allegedly fired. So bias. Be weary, yes. (laughs) Said that I can tell you that it was definitely not the type of office where you were allowed to eat whatever you want. It was understood that an office where we are selling skinniness in a package, you don't want to be seen eating anything that has a lot of carbs or is not F-factor approved. Yeah. The understanding was that you have to be on step one the whole time you're working (laughs) there. Yes, I know. So remember, step one is an insanely restrictive really limited intake step. You're only just supposed to be on it for two weeks. Yeah, and this part here, not the whole mm-hmm. story, but it is giving me some cult vibes. For in sure. that, like, you're forcing your employees to eat and essentially be mm-hmm. as you are. I know. And it's, I kind of liked that, like, skinniness in a package part of that quote from the former dietitian. Because that is what it seems like is being sold here. Yeah. Nothing about this is like living your healthiest and most fulfilled, free and flexible life. It's about thinness. Yeah. And being able to get drunk still. And work out less. (laughs) I know. It's tricky. Okay. So another former intern said that she would restrict all day at work, causing her to get into a pattern of binge eating at home. Very classic cycle, but that's really messed up if that's (laughs) what your workplace is driving you to do. Yeah. The intern also talked about a team holiday dinner at a restaurant that served popovers, which I had to Google, and they're like um, Yorkshire puddings. Anyways, they were all sneaking the popovers under the table because they didn't want Tanya to see that they were actually eating them. That's sad. That's That's sad. Yes, it is. Yeah. So a representative for Zuckerbrot responded that, and this kind of makes me laugh, (laughs) Tanya enjoys popovers and eats them from time to time since no foods are off limits on the F-Factor diet. Tanya feels badly that someone felt uncomfortable eating popovers in front of her. Beyond the food shaming. Oh my gosh. I know. (laughs) 
I just feel like she's really using this. It's a sustainable diet. All foods fit. But like they don't. Yeah. Okay. So beyond the food shaming, former employees allege that Zuckerbrot's office behavior could be inappropriate at times. And she would sometimes tell sexually explicit jokes that made them uncomfortable. Ish. Yeah. A former high-level employee said that every day it was tears, crying, crying, crying. There was an extreme level of toxicity in the office. If it were a television show, you would be like, this is so unrealistic. And yet it's like that every single day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Zuckerbrot's side of the story is that these former employees are part of a larger campaign to assassinate her character. And there are employees that admire and support Zuckerbrot and have spoken out saying that they admire the company that she built. Mm -hmm. So there are people, I guess, on the other side as well. Given that Zuckerbrot denies all of these allegations and sees this whole thing from consumer to employee complaints as a vendetta against her, how has she responded? So she hired attorney Lanny Davis to liaise with reporters on her behalf. And he's actually the, the attorney for Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney. Yes. She really got, like, the biggest one. I also, I feel like that kind of insinuates guilt, guilt? to me. <laughs> if you feel like you need to bring in the big guns. Yeah. She also is very wealthy, so maybe she was just like, why would I get less than the best? But, like, Michael Cohen's lawyer. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> like, get somebody's lawyer who was more... Respectable? Obviously innocent. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> like someone who defends the wrongfully convicted. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh that'd be okay. good. That would have been a great strategy. It would have. <laughs> she also sent at least six cease and desist letters threatening legal action to the former employees who spoke out against F Factor. And she ultimately filed a lawsuit with the New York Supreme Court suing Emily Gellis Land, alleging that she attempted to destroy the high profile brand, inflicting monetary losses and causing emotional distress. And the lawsuit alleges that Gellis Land began a smear campaign to destroy the company and Zuckerbrot. Zuckerbrot's lawyers say that Gellis Land has cost F-Factor millions of dollars in revenue because of more than 4,500 false, defamatory, and or harassing statements. F-Factor was making $1 million in revenue a month. What? I know. Highly successful. Before Gellis Land began posting about the company, and now they're making less than 90000 a month. Wow. Huge losses. So she went from like a $12 million company to likely like a, what would that be? Like a 1.2, 1 $1.1 million company. Yeah. Like 10% wow. of former. It's a huge, huge difference. Yeah. But that doesn't mean Gellis Land set out to destroy the company. No. I think she genuinely set out to share stories. She wasn't personally invested in the company. Okay. Emily Gellis-Land mm -hmm. has also tried to take down some other people. Did you get into that at all? I don't get into this. No. Okay. I was trimming. Like, I know. We'll insert a fact check with just like a brief synopsis of that. Well, I know one specific was Teddy Mellencamp. Yes. Okay. Do you know the deeds? So I know some of the deeds because it was just basically a very restrictive diet and... Emily called it out on her Instagram page. So mm -hmm. similarly to what she did with Tanya. It was called All In by Teddy. All In by Teddy. 
But it did receive quite a bit of negative backlash from the media and mm-hmm. just people generally. But then shortly after, I believe, she lost her place on The Real Housewives. Yeah. So I don't know if that has any correlation, but it also impacted mm-hmm. her life to some degree. And while I do agree that Emily likely had good intentions, she was also not just focusing on one business. It was almost like she was trying yep. to take down the whole diet industry any which way she could. Totally. You're right. And that actually, like, that does kind of come up in the research. And Tanya claims that this whole thing is part of a wider anti-diet campaign. And it might be. Mm -hmm. And is that wrong? Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. Because, like, the diet industry causes a lot of harm. Yeah. And this is bringing attention to that harm. Mm -hmm. I hate to be the type of person that's, like, constantly sitting on the fence and being like, well, there's this to consider, and there's yeah. this also. Like, I wish I had um, a firm answer or, like, a firm professional opinion. But, like, I don't feel that you can ignore, let's say it's 2,400 individual health-related complaints alongside allegations of a toxic workplace. Yeah. It's too much to ignore. Uh, yeah, definitely. Or explain away. Especially, and then if you consider... A lot of Tanya's responses to this were very polished and scripted and very, like, PR. Like, she would do Instagram Lives or IGTV videos, and they weren't particularly relatable or sincere, in my Mm. opinion. And it makes it kind of hard to feel bad for the brand and feel like that they really care about their consumers. And while Gellisland didn't have a personal investment or even personal experience with F-Factor beforehand... Like you said, she does have a sort of investment in bringing down diet culture. Mm -hmm. And she was technically just sharing people's stories. If you go back and watch like her Instagram stories, if you're curious after this, you'll just get a sense of her personality. It's really bold and kind of fearless um, and unfiltered, I would say. And then on the other hand, I'm (laughs) very aware of how quickly misinformation can spread on social media, especially when like the science isn't really being considered and how easily these things can get taken out of context. So when I actually do look at the ingredients on the powder, first of all, they're like not overly concerning to me. And I can see how a decent percentage of the population might not and would not tolerate the products. Yeah. Especially, like I said earlier, if they're really motivated, they're starting a new diet, they add all these products in like super gung-ho. I think this lawsuit, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat reading new information as it comes as it becomes available i hope there's a netflix doc <laughs> if there is and viewing they ever need to super invested citizens to report on the story yes we are your available. citizens mm-hmm. <laughs> so to finish this up i just want to address a couple of key points so first the complaints of the side effects The rashes, hives, gastric distress, bloating, gas, constipation could potentially be a reaction to whey or a side effect of rapidly increasing the amount of fiber in the diet, especially because this is isolated fiber. So like we've said, it can throw your digestive system for a total loop. However, some of the more serious symptoms are more challenging to explain, like the rectal bleeding and the partial bowel resection. Those are very serious Mm -hmm. and they're not commonly reported symptoms from users. And at this point, there is technically no evidence to show that those symptoms are directly 
related to the F-factor diet and or their products. But the rectal bleeding and bowel resection did happen to people who were at one point on F-factors. Like, do we know that Mm -hmm. for certain? Okay. Well, we know that it was alleged. Okay. 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 Yeah. And like everyone is so different. I just think it's not impossible that someone may have never had a Crohn's flare and then tried these crazy high fiber products and then had their first Crohn's flare. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, everyone is just so different. So is their microbiome, their digestive system, and their genetic predisposition to things like Crohn's or colitis. Mm -hmm. And so while these products are technically safe for most people, it definitely doesn't mean it's safe for every single person. I also want to talk about the F-factor diet. I'm pretty sure it's clear by now, but it's not my kind of diet, personally. I don't love how fiber is put on this pedestal as this amazing weight loss miracle nutrient, because if we're consuming excess fiber, we could easily be displacing other foods from our diet that have more energy, more protein, more micronutrients that we need. Mm -hmm. I think most dietitians would recommend that you strive to get most of your daily fiber and protein from whole food sources instead of the supplements. That being said, the F-factor products aren't actually pushed as meal replacements, rather as supplements to help you meet your fiber goals, which in and of itself is not a bad recommendation, considering the majority of Canadian and American adults don't get enough fiber. And the F-factor book was actually written long before, like over a decade before the F-factor products were released. Mm -hmm. So the original book is not based on pushing the F-factor products, that came along more when the social media came into play. Right. New opportunities. Yeah. So what about the F-factor diet's restrictive practices? Um, Remember, there were some allegations that F-factor had kickstarted some individuals' eating disorders and ruined their relationship with food. And it is well-documented that restrictive dieting is kind of like the gateway drug to an eating disorder. And step one of F-factor's diet is absolutely restrictive. Mm -hmm. So the foundation of F-Factor is focused on weight loss, and there doesn't seem to be any significant emphasis on other health factors, which in my opinion makes it absolutely problematic and definitely could be triggering for some individuals. However, it gets a little tricky to say like F-Factor causes eating disorders because eating disorders are so individual. But it is possible that F-Factor is the thing that pushes someone over the edge due to the emphasis, especially on tracking and restriction. Yeah. You also have to think like, why is somebody considering a diet Mm -hmm. like this that is restrictive? Yeah. There might already be some disordered eating patterns there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A desire to be thin is is likely already there. Mm -hmm. Maybe some body dissatisfaction as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the question remains... Has Zuckerbrot built her platform by preying on insecurity, promoting restriction, and bullying employees? Is she a successful registered dietitian that built a hugely profitable business, helping people achieve their goals only to become a victim of cyberbullying? And what about Emily? Was her Instagram campaign an exercise in using free speech to advocate for women's health and give voices to those who didn't feel comfortable speaking out? Or did it morph into something much more sinister? Only time will tell. (laughs) And we will have to watch as this case unfolds in court. And in the meantime, we recommend setting sustainable New Year's (laughs) resolutions. 
And if health is something that you choose to make a resolution about, try to choose health goals that are achievable, gentle, easy to maintain. And above all else, if your New Year's resolution doesn't pan out or, you know, feels like you shot, you girl bossed a little too close to the sun and you need to kind of (laughs) ease off a little bit, just try not to be too hard on yourself. That's it. Yay. That was good. Yeah. Great story. I'm surprised. I actually was expecting, because I haven't followed the story for a couple of months now, mm-hmm. and I was expecting some new information, but I guess because the lawyers have now taken over, yep. they're likely not in this social media battle as much anymore. Absolutely not. I feel like when we kind of stopped following, it dropped off shortly after. And mm-hmm. it was like, I think, you know, the lawsuit was started, and so everyone stopped. Right. And I think we just kind of have to wait. Yeah, I found like there wasn't a lot of new information as well, but it was just easier to kind of piece together what happened. Do we know when this lawsuit is going to pan out? Okay. No. I will be watching closely. (laughs) I know. Like, I think it just, it was like watching a dramatic episode of reality TV unfold real time. And I think both parties could have handled it differently. And I think both are kind of a little bit problematic. Yeah. It was just kind of a disaster. It was a like disaster. There were so many opportunities where they could have kiboshed this or like at mm-hmm. least improved their own situations. Yes. And they both did not until they were <laughs> head to head and now in a legal battle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let this be a story of what not to do mm-hmm. on social media. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Or in your business. Are you taking notes? You're like, never. <laughs> yes. <laughs> become no corrupt. harassment. No harassment. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you have a question for me for next episode? I do. It's a bit of an obscure one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sarah. Have you ever been to prison? No. <laughs> <laughs> like not even to a prison? Well, Bridgepoint where I had my... Second last dietetic placement was was formerly a prison. It was like the last place that people were hung to <gasps> death in Canada. Oh my gosh, really? And apparently it's haunted. Yeah, they still have the gallows, but they like modernized it all. And so it's like a glass floor <laughs> where people used to like fall through. I found it fascinating because I like true crime, but everyone was like, don't go there. It's haunted. And I was like, I'll go there. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> wow, that is... Interesting. So what was, I've never been to Bridgepoint before. What was it like there? Were there windows? Oh my God, so many windows. Bridgepoint is stunning. It's like Mm -hmm. a, yeah, it's beautiful. So the place that was the prison is a historical building. So they actually converted the prison cells into like offices and like half preserved the old parts of the building and also modernized it. And then the actual hospital is like an incredibly modern separate building. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like there's patients in old prison cells. (laughs) That would be so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Just employees. Yeah. What about you? Any prison Um, experiences? uh, I haven't been to prison personally as a felon, yes. Okay, Um, perfect. But I have been to prisons, multiple, Mm -hmm. actually. (laughs) Gone on a couple of prison tours. I also have a friend who her dad used to be a prison guard. And so sometimes we would 
pop in and like drop him off his dinner or whatever Aww, at the prison. So cute. <laughs> but yeah, that's your teaser. I'm very curious. Are you teased? Episode. <laughs> I'm teased. Consider me teased. All right. Happy New Year, Happy New everyone. Year. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck with your New Year's rezos if you make them. Yes. And we'll see you next episode. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsavory. You can find all the references and materials used to put this episode together in our show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through our Patreon link in our bio. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Unsavory Podcast. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at unsavorypod at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about them at earwormradio.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.